0: Welcome to Somehow I Manage, brought to you by Guildmaster Consulting. In our inaugural podcast today, we tackle the question of career growth in flat organizations. Join us as we discuss why structured roles and responsibilities are not anathema to a democratic engineering culture. While this may be our first foray into podcasting, and therefore a very rough MVP, it won't be our last. Be part of our iterative process by subscribing, or take a look at our blog at www.guildmasterconsulting.com backslash blog also check us out on twitter at guildmasterc c as in code as in consulting as in coach Well, welcome to somehow I manage podcast. This is our very first episode and we are going to be doing it within the span of the time it takes our daughter to nap. That is also the same span as your commute. If you are still going into the office, uh, more on remote work in a different episode. Today, we're going to be talking about a question we received from a reader actually of our blog. Uh, and the question is, hi there. (laughs) Hi. Would you possibly be interested in writing a blog topic about role clarity and how important it is? In flat organizations, it can become very loose as to who does what, uh, the bystander effect, and also vague as to what your career progression is, uh, as in we are all the same level, so no promotion path. I'd love to hear about ideas for finding just the right balance between hierarchy and organization and democratic flatness and autonomy. I know that could be a huge topic, but wanted to see if it was something you felt strongly about. Uh, Yes, we do. And we started having an immediate conversation. And that's when we decided, okay, this can't just be a blog, it needs to be a conversation. Like any good organization um, should be, it should be like a good conversation where people aren't talking over each other or stepping over each other's roles. Um, There's clear delineation of who's saying what, who's doing what. Um, So with me, obviously, I have John Graham, who is the founder of Guildmaster Consulting. And uh, John, what immediately comes to mind for you when you hear this question? Uh,
1: It can get really, I think it can get really confusing uh, for somebody who's asking these questions in an organization. But, you know, the main audience here is also the managers and leaders who are trying to design their organization. Mm. And so we need to talk about what leads to this kind of thing and how to avoid it. Um, I think you can see embedded in the question a lot of um, organizational justice issues. How do do I get ahead is not always a question of ambition. It is also like what... what is valued here what matters here and how can i contribute to that in a way that i'll get recognized mm-hmm.
0: um i like that I, w- I wouldn't have thought about that side the justice side of um, career advancement not just the ambition stereotype
1: that's good a lot of i mean a lot of justice is about making sure the right people get the right job mm-hmm. uh, and we mm-hmm. all will prosper if if that happens mm-hmm. um but there's, you know, there's all kinds of little things that I think are touched on in the question. Uh, let's start with the bystander effect.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, what is that for our listeners who aren't familiar with it?
1: The bystander effect is, and there's actually some controversy over whether right. the original story around the <laughs> bystander effect yeah. was true. Yeah. The bystander effect tends to be the more people who are around who might help with something, the fewer people actually volunteer to help because they figure someone else will do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, I want to almost put this in economic terms, um, in a way the bystander effect or, or, uh, the inability of a, of a market to, to fully fund public goods, and we'll get into all that in a second, Yeah, this will last are, yeah. are the same thing in this instance. So what are public goods? Public goods are the things that if you bought something i would actually benefit as your neighbor so a great idea or a great example of a public good is a street lamp
2: Mm.
1: and so if we tried to let the private marketplace uh fulfill public goods we would not have enough street lamps because i would just sit around like a bystander expecting somebody else to buy it so Mm. that i could enjoy it Mm. the way we solve public goods is we decide okay no we're gonna we're gonna have taxes and we're gonna have jointly buy enough street lamps Um, A lot of things that, you know, your government does, like the common defense, uh, are all these uh, examples of public goods Mm. that we would not have enough of if we just bought individually. Mm. You can see this in the bystander effect because there's this thing that may be causing a team a little bit of pain, Mm. but because if one person solves it, it's solved for everyone, you tend to underfund the efforts uh, to resolve that small pain if you rely on personal incentives and volunteerism, like hmm. like a private marketplace of effort. Hmm. So in this case, management is going to have to divvy up these responsibilities and be explicit about it so that everything is covered.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, just so we don't start conflating um, role definition with taxes, because that's not always a positive connotation, um, talk a little bit more about the investment model. Like you said something about underinvestment um how is it uh, a reflection of an underinvestment in people if you're not defining those roles uh, in that structure
1: are we talking about the career growth
0: yeah yeah because that was also part of the question
1: i think it's it's i am super sensitive to the overly ambitious possibly toxic individual Mm -hmm. uh getting getting inside an organization and extracting value out rather than putting value in um, what comes to mind on this is a really good uh, video by ContraPoints, uh, I think one of her most recent ones, where she points out that good people do need to seek power, uh, mm. and it's very uncomfortable for good people to seek power, because that's just something we assume uh, Marx says, no, 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 I'm not power hungry or anything like that. Mm. Um, however... And, and we can get to the, the tyranny of structurelessness because that essay more or less points out the same thing, that um, by eschewing power, by saying, no, 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 there will be no power in this organization, which is, I would say, maybe round one of how do we implement a flat organization. Sure. We'll, just is, yeah. <laughs> okay. um, we'll just pretend that power doesn't exist. And that form
0: um, is, yeah,
1: okay. We'll just pretend that power doesn't exist. Is... In the, in the Tyranny of Structuralistness essay, the author points out this more or less just gets you a high school model, a popularity contest. Mm. Power exists between human beings. Mm-hmm. It is impossible to get rid of.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, so the more that good managers understand that the org structure will set up those power relationships if it's enforced, mm-hmm. and we've all been in places where it's not enforced and there's real power brokers and then there's titles. Yeah. Um, and the more that people I will either self-identify as wanting to help others inside an organization um, or have a vision for the organization that is still jo- bringing us all together and helping us this these are for-profit companies right helping us all profit together right though this would apply to nonprofits as well helping us accomplish the mission together better mm-hmm. the more people say it is okay for me to pursue some of these, roles right so long as i get the requisite education and the requisite experience and and show, you know prove that i am qualified and you need to have checks and balances on this sort of thing but it's okay in especially in a safe organization that has these positions there is going to be power positions and it is okay if not somewhat important for hmm. good people to say i need to try that hmm. and it's gonna feel uncomfortable
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because power feels uncomfortable,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but the the you've got to think about the alternative. If you don't pursue it, someone else who wants to extract value out of that organization will be pursuing it.
0: And and that goes back to the essay you mentioned, the tyranny of structurelessness. Can you say a little bit more about that context for that, and and why it has been helpful to you in understanding uh, the value of. Organizational alignment and
1: role alignment. I think this, we use the term constitutionalism a bit in the blog Mm. and in other writing, you have to, what the tyranny of structurelessness is about. It's about the 1960s, you know, freewheeling sixties, they were living on an anarchist commune and it did not work. And this was trying to reflect on what happened. Mm. And ironically, despite trying to get rid of all hierarchy altogether, they just got the default hierarchy that exists in all human groups. And that is the high school popularity hierarchy. There were still charismatic individuals who could work those power and influence uh, relationships with others and make the group do as they saw fit. And so what, what the author was more or less, talking about is you do you do need to set out some sort of how how are we going to work together as a group in some sort of system or writing, and that that system or writing can be subject to iteration itself. But people need to know the rules of the game, and you need to under, you need to know that however you are distributing power, is going to uh, change how the group works. And so there's a lot of great ideas in there that you know you can see reflected of even in government like term limits.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a, that's a good concept to try and limit the abuses of power but still understand some people uh, are going to get in and we need to rely on somebody. Um, in an organization, and we have a blog on this, um, building a learning organization, Guilds and Badges, uh, You can you can try to build an organization that ensures Power is distributed to the ones who have proven themselves most knowledgeable, and uh, I want to use a term that's a dangerous term, meritocratic. That's almost always used to cover something that is not meritocratic.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, and you know, passing a test or you know taking a certification does not prove by any means that you are the most qualified person for a position. It does lend evidence to it. Right. And in the case where we have very little to go on, which is many organizations, and the default being like, what political favor did I do (laughs) for the power broker lately? It is a better system.
0: Sure. Um, So that's interesting. I want to deconstruct a little bit in the question, it poses an opposition between hierarchy and democratic flatness. Um, What you were saying earlier is that when you evoke the word democratic, you're actually not... Evoking a kind of naive flatness, right? It's not populism. It's not loudest voice wins. Hopefully it's, it's got some checks and balances. It's got a constitution. It's, it has some structure, right? It's not the tyranny of structurelessness. It's not that, that commune experience. Um, What does a democratic organization look like to you? Um, And kind of tying it back to something you said earlier about the justice of getting the right Person in the right role um, and the meritocratic nature of of getting to that point.
1: Um, I almost wanna walk back from the term democratic. I know democratic leadership in an organization can mean consensus building and collaborative Mm. rather than rote votes. Mm. Um, Mm. And I don't, I think we also need to make sure we're not saying everyone has equal power on every issue. a a for-profit organization is almost always coming in with baggage of certain power structures that are required to get it going. Financing, founding, those sorts of things. Those people are going to ensure they're protected. Mm -hmm. So you've always got some sort of power going in if it's not a co-op. But we can still evoke the idea of egalitarianism, Mm. Uh, I think that would probably be a little more uh, specific to what I see in a good, quote-unquote, flat organization.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in again, in, in an egalitarian organization, the people who have the power, others understand why, how, and they believe it's justified. Mm. Uh, and beyond something just like magic, oh, well, he's a great leader.
0: Right, or charm or charisma, or yeah.
1: something like that. and. The, I think let's talk about organizational justice. One of the most important things you can do firsthand if you can't guarantee necessarily distributive justice or you can't guarantee that everyone will believe it's distributive in the short term, maybe it'll take time seeing certain people, uh, their skill, the managerial or leadership skill applied to slowly build their credibility. Uh, You can at least ensure procedural justice Mm -hmm. Uh, from the get go. Mm -hmm. And that again, we go back to that badge and guild system of like this person is in charge because they have this, that and the other training. Uh, And that's that's what's valuable to us. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can anyone can. There's a transparency that if I wanted to be the VP of engineering, I know how it may take me some time. Mm Um, but I know how, and that lends credibility to the VP of engineering of that person is the VP of engineering because they did these things.
0: Right. Yeah. That was a big part of the question to me that stood out was how a structurelessness or a kind of flatness of a a naive flatness um, makes career progression very vague. Um, And one word that I want to pull out from what you said is that transparency, Um, because that's so much a part of justice of like, I expect that if I do similar things and have similar training, that there is some career progression. Maybe it looks a little different, but at least um, it's meritocratic, right? Um, and when you're thinking about leaders trying to foster that meritocratic organization, um, it it has to, I don't know, it comes back to this leadership style, like there are three, there's the authoritarian right, which you've written about in a blog, there is the laissez faire and there is the democratic leader. And that democratic leader does encourage meritocracy, acknowledges that there's power, acknowledges that there are differentials between people, but that that isn't a difference in value per se. It's just a difference in skill set and what they bring to the conversation and to the table. Um, I I was thinking about this because I'm doing some coursework in social work and a lot of the dynamics of a group if you're doing a group therapy session or you know in an organization having a meeting um power is in the room and the group facilitator is going to be looked at as an authority figure and it's going to inherit all of the good and the bad that comes with authority Um, and so one when i say i was reading and i'll link to it um, on our site is that as a facilitator as a manager you have to be both a cultivator of of culture you have to kind of um help it happen but you also have to be critical of it you have to be open to questions and open to challenge and part of that comes back again to that transparency that you were talking about um if you that was a long-winded way of saying if you had advice to managers um who whose directs are coming to them saying i don't know what my role is i don't know how to advance i feel like um we're all on the same level here and it's really hard to differentiate and to know what my unique contribution to the team is you know what would you advise that manager to to do or say
1: i kind of want to uh cover a couple of other things real quick okay. uh, that that you brought up so the the authoritarian laissez faire and democratic leadership models, uh, that's that's a really good way to look at it as as almost a spectrum.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And one thing that it it reminded me of is uh, in Hayek's path or path to serfdom or the road to serfdom. Road to, yeah. um, he points out that a pure laissez faire approach to the economy and an authoritarian approach render the same endpoint.
0: oh right excellent you, yeah. you will
1: either get fascism or communism mm-hmm. because monopolies will form and you'll get On either side yeah
0: it's a governmental monopoly or
1: yeah yeah you will get the power will concentrate if you do not the power will concentrate not necessarily in the interest of the organization if you do not continually monitor and regulate it and that's kind of that in that middle form, that democratic form Mm -hmm. uh, in that model. Mm -hmm. In another model of leadership, you have the uh, command and control, coaching style, style, visionary style, pace setting style, um, affiliative style, uh, Mm -hmm. and then maybe one more that I'm not remembering. But there you kind of see those two styles that you mentioned. How do you thread the needle of being the cultivator of Culture, mm-hmm. which would be the coaching style. Mm-hmm. You are a paragon of that culture. You are help providing feedback to others on how we do things here, mm-hmm. using those values, mm-hmm. uh, and also a critic, which I would say maybe that visionary style of you can see beyond it.
0: Huh? Yeah.
1: You can see what could be better
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, provide that vision and inspiration to changing it. So you can pull from the, some of those things to see why you should do this. Uh, in terms of the nuts and bolts, you have a, a direct coming to you saying, how, can you?
0: Yeah, I'll go back and kind of rephrase that. So a direct report comes to you as a manager and says, I don't know how to progress in my career here. I, it's very unclear to me what my unique role is supposed to be doing because, you know, I, I have the same title as three or four other people on my team and we're stepping on each other's toes. We we don't really know um, what our paths are. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what advice would you give to a manager in that
1: position? Well, I would, I mean, like most things, it's going to depend. Let's assume, yeah, sure. let's assume that the person is, you, step one, you're going to take a step back and say like, okay, um, is this criticism uh, fair? Mm. Have I set up these things that I have tried to describe clear paths? Mm. Uh, if you have, then maybe it's a communication issue. You mm. need to, you need to. All right, well, we have clear paths. Have you looked at this, you know, these these documents? Have you have you attended, you know, whatever meeting or training on, on the career progression here? Mm-hmm. Then you might get some some further criticism on like it wasn't clear or I didn't understand or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you can drill down kind of using a five-wise approach of why are we having this conversation? What what failed to help you understand? Um, If you take a step back and like i don't have anything for this we don't have a career ladder here and i don't have clear roles and descriptions then this person is probably the bravest of your direct reports and they are all feeling the same thing Um, and this is a very psychologically unsafe organization because no one knows uh, if no one knows what success looks like, no one knows what failure looks like either.
0: Oh, that's a great point.
1: And yeah. so everyone is afraid of mistakes all the time.
2: Hmm.
1: And there's no way, no way to establish a collaborative organization because it is intrinsically competitive. You hmm. have four people who all have the same exact role. Hmm. And no no clear way to get ahead, no clear way to get fired, which means anything can get you fired. And you'll never know what gets you ahead. And it's just, it's not a safe organization. You want to score. You want to gamify it. This came up in the Emyth book. Mm-hmm. You want to play a game. You want to play a sim business whereby your, your scoring or a game uh, that you develop as a manager, if people play it well, then we all succeed. Uh, so these rules of the game are going to maybe... Uh, change as you get feedback from what's working, what, and mm-hmm. what isn't. Mm-hmm. But part of this game is people want to know how, what to success look like, whether they want to grow in their responsibility, or they just want to make sure that they're not going to get laid off. <laughs> you need to define success because then once you have these constraints on what success looks like, people can focus there. And that's when they really want the autonomy. People don't necessarily like a lot of autonomy. Uh, beyond a certain point on the on the what, mm-hmm. uh, they want the autonomy on the how. Sure. Uh, they they want to know what the group's shared goals are, so that they can contribute. And perhaps they have ideas on what those goals should be. In which case, you can talk more about consensus and collaboration. But not everybody does. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's comfortable with that. So, uh, but people do usually. All of your individual individual contributors uh, can and should have ideas about how something should be done. That's how you know you're dealing with skilled individuals. Mm. And so autonomy is about setting the goals and then letting them decide how to get things done within certain constraints on values.
0: Yes, I I love that. That's something that I've always found um, that constraints secure mobility. They don't thwart it, right? Like the more um, I know about the goal uh, the more I know about how I'm going to be measured um, and my achievement toward that goal, kind of back to the OKRs, measure what matters book, uh, the freer I am to just dig in and start something and try something and experiment. Um, it to me it has never really made sense to appeal to a certain freedom, like that that structurelessness freedom. Uh, within an organization of like, oh, I get to define my role and I get to decide what matters to the organization. You know, maybe that's initially exciting if you're coming from a company that was very command and control, but it, you lose so much energy quickly because you get this decision fatigue because you're making decisions about every dynamic part of your, of your role and what you're supposed to be doing. And instead of having um, some of that work cognitively offloaded into the company's strategy and culture and values. Um, One other thing that I wanted to pick up on your conversation about autonomy as it's connected to psychological safety. I had not thought about that. I had not thought about um, it wouldn't be a safe organization if you don't really know what your role is. Um, So that's something to think about as managers. that freedom might be kind of nice initially. You might think, "Oh, I'm giving my direct reports this autonomy," but it's not really autonomy if if they're kind of afraid to fail and um, don't know how to experiment because they don't know what the the parameters or the constraints are. Um, just like a a software engineer, like bringing it back to software, and, and you know, if you had a client who was like, "I don't really know what I want."
1: You know, like, it's the worst client yeah,
0: it's the worst client and it's kind of the worst manager too like <laughs> every
1: every software engineer complains i didn't get good requirements i didn't right. get good user stories if they would just give me good user stories my job would be easy
0: right because it sets you up for the creative part of your job if you're not spending all of your energy trying to get something out of the client <laughs> trying to spend all your energy translating the client
1: um it, yeah, go ahead. And the structurelessness appears. Mm-hmm. Um, if, oh, you we let people decide whatever they want to do here, that structurelessness,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: that may sound flat, but two, three, four, five people may all want to do the same thing, and now you have a dispute but you have no dispute resolution system right. because that's not defined either. Right. So it's intrinsic because we don't
0: acknowledge power as <laughs> a
1: part of yeah. It's intri- so that's uh creating this comp- competition even if you're trying to build a collaborative culture if you say you get to define your own job but only 3 people get to do this one thing and everybody knows it mm. uh then it's competitive. Mm. And so there are scarce resources we need to make sure that those such as titles and roles we need mm-hmm. to make sure that those resources go to the people that will most likely help the entire organization thrive mm-hmm. and and it any anything outside of that is intrinsically somewhat unjust mm-hmm. from the worst people have it mm-hmm. to the best people and you need to try and find a system that gets more and more just
0: mm-hmm. and what i'm hearing is a parallel between these economic concepts of um, waste and not wasting resources and this ethical concept of injustice. Like there's a waste in injustice. There's a waste of talent. There's a waste of focus and um, a waste of the company's resources on a very basic level. Um, I'm also hearing kind of an aesthetic concept of fit, like making sure that what you're building and the structures that you have actually fit your values and fit um, a meritocratic path to um, success so I, I love that you're thinking you know on three levels and bringing it back to us on a very practical
1: level of management is there
0: anything else you wanted to say in response to this question before we wrap up
1: um the I think the last thing uh, I wanted to mention is um, there's certainly I think we get close to uh, some of the stuff brought up in uh, Beyond the Thunderdome, which is oh, another yeah. that blog, post. another yeah, another blog post um, on uh, this about the importance of constraints. Um, if you have zero constraints, let's say that you only have one person in a position. You know, we brought up all these conflict. You know, the conflict of structurelessness. Let's say you only have one person in the position, uh, and there is no structurelessness. There's no intrinsic competition um you're still going to get drastic over engineering Mm. and and a lack of vision because now the resources are unlimited Mm. uh and there are no constraints Mm. so um and i think uh unrelated one last thing I'll, i'll bring up just because you mentioned the software engineering metaphor and we just tweeted about this too job descriptions are the apis of individuals oh yeah they're the public interface, and autonomy is the private implementation details. You want—it's just like good API design—that you want to put contracts and and types in place on that job description that define success, but you do not want to go into the details of how. Mm-hmm. Again, be beyond certain value. Yeah, you need
0: the endpoints, kind of defined. Is, is well, that what you're saying?
1: Well, the the public interface helps you know your score. If I fulfill this interface, then I'm doing a good mm-hmm, job. Mm-hmm. Um, the private implementation details is your own personal interest. Uh, did I do it efficiently or elegantly or all kinds of other trade-offs that ultimately matter to you, but maybe not to the organization as a whole, Okay. Uh, because we haven't decided on uh, right. some strategic value there yet. Okay. I mentioned the overall values because uh, no one is saying, oh, it's a private implementation detail on how many people I stab in the back. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, certainly there are constraints Mm -hmm. uh, that we get from our values Mm -hmm. on how we're going to work with others that do not need to be enumerated. Yes. Um, You may as a. That's
0: a hiring. It matter for a different episode. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you may, you know, want to put in your job description that a project manager will help facilitate stand up meetings, mm-hmm. but you do not need to put in there that they will not undermine their colleagues. Right. Uh, that can just be in a value statement mm-hmm. and that's shared by everyone. And mm-hmm. It should not change based on the job.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. I'm so glad you brought up the API's metaphor. I think we should go into that further in in another episode. Um, But I do hear the sound of our child waking up. And so we're going to wrap up this episode. If you like what you heard today, uh, do check out our blog, The Soapbox, and go to guildmasterconsulting.com to read more about our services and products. Thanks.